You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. The past couple of weeks have been difficult for this country. Once again, grappling with gun violence caused by madmen with evil intentions. This has unfortunately become an ongoing issue with people, politicians, pundits, saying a whole lot of things, but doing very little. Four years ago this spring, a new play opened off-Broadway called Church and State. It dealt with the contentious intersection of God, guns, and politics, and featured four actors on a single set. I consider myself very lucky and fortunate to have been a part of this production as the understudy for the two male actors. It was written and produced by two former guests of this podcast, Jason Odell Williams as the playwright and his wife, Charlotte Cohn, as lead producer. Here they are speaking with Bloomberg News back in May of 2017. The play is about a Republican senator from North Carolina who is up for re-election. There has been a recent school shooting in his hometown about a week and a half ago. And the morning the play takes place, he was at a funeral. A reporter asks him, did you turn to prayer in your time of need? And for the first time in a long time, he actually answers honestly. That's sort of the leaping off point for the play and it deals with religion and politics and guns, and yet it's funny. Though humor is not usually associated with grief and loss, there have been several research studies which have found a correlation. One research paper in particular back in 2013 from St. Catherine University found that humor can play a very significant role in the grief process. Actually, originally it was called uh, God, Guns, and Politics, or some version of that. And uh, then I said, well, nobody's going to come to see a show that's called God, Guns, and Politics. So Jason changed it to Church and State. Uh, Originally, because the play is infused with humor, it's not a bitter pill kind of theater. We tried it out in L.A. It actually had its first run in L.A. And out there we discovered that People loved this play and were very moved by it and and inspired by it and laughed through the pain. Now, while there is certainly nothing funny about the recent shootings in Uvalde and Buffalo, it's important that as playwrights try to tackle these issues, they also strike a balance in plays like Church and State between the gravity of such a serious subject and the need for an audience to have some relief from a difficult reality. But with this play in particular, Jason also makes an effort to strike some balance and understanding between the warring viewpoints on gun control. Theater, it's a much safer place for people to come together that have disagreeing points of view. And rarely do people on opposite sides ever come to the same place anymore. I think live theater like this may be the only place where you'll get people on opposite sides to go to the same place because they all want to be entertained by something. And so theater is a uniquely suited art form that can empower individuals with the ability to both voice and resolve issues by giving those on stage and in the audience a chance to experience both the joys and pains we all go through in life. Theater truly can be an agent for both catharsis and change. Welcome to a special episode of Why I'll Never Make It. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and I rarely, if ever, venture into politics or the divisive issues of the day. The conversations I focus on deal directly with artistry, theater craft, the hurdles and issues we face within the performing arts. 
But sometimes the challenges of the world around us can also affect us in powerful ways as artists and as individuals, becoming another reason why we find it hard to make it in this business. So I'm bringing back a wonderfully talented and creative couple, Jason Odell Williams and Charlotte Cohn. As writers, directors, and producers, these two demonstrate how theater pieces like Church and State come along, addressing the issues of gun violence in an intelligent, artistic, and meaningful way. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Renowned English director Peter Hall wrote his book, The Necessary Theater, in 1999 which added to the continuing debate about the place of theater in our lives. Hall unequivocally states that, quote, theater remains any society's sharpest way to hold a live debate with itself. If it doesn't challenge, provoke, or illuminate, it is not fulfilling its function. Church and State is a play that has certainly been fulfilling its function. Its off-Broadway run in 2017 featured L.A. actor Rob Nagel in the lead role of Senator Charles Whitmore, who delivers an impassioned speech at the end of the play, delicately balancing gun rights with gun control. If I lose this election, get run out of politics, get shot down right here on this stage, it won't matter as long as I was fighting to make this state better, to make this country better, to make our lives better. But if I continue to say nothing and do nothing, then I won't be able to live with myself, and you shouldn't either. Apathy is a four-letter word. Everyone in this room can affect change. Every soul can make a difference. I also will say this about this play. It's not a radical leftist right. kind of play. It brings both sides of the aisle together. It's about starting a conversation between the two sides, which is not happening. In LA, people love the play and, and they like the message, but here, the one of the main comments we get is people say, I would vote for you, Rob Nagel. They would vote for that person as a candidate um, because we are now longing for a moderate Republican or anybody who's not a huge extreme. I mean, we're also, you've got, you know, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump and it's like nothing in the middle. If, if it changes one person's point of view, somebody was a staunch proponent of the Second Amendment who now thinks, you know what, maybe, maybe we can relax our gun laws. Maybe we can give on the universal background checks. That's a step. And I think you just have to do that a million times with a million people. But how does someone do that? 
How can playwrights and producers take their passions and causes and ideas and put them down on the page, eventually mounting a stage production? How can we as artists affect and influence that one person at a time with important messages and perspectives? Well, just like Jason, it begins with a seed planted, a vague idea, and turning those into words and characters and stories. I'd been thinking about gun violence in general ever since after Virginia Tech and Tucson were sort of the two that kind of shocked me, I think, like the country. And then after Sandy Hook in December 2012, our daughter, who's now 16, was six years old at the time, which is how old those children were. And I was really, really sad and I and angry and I felt helpless. And um, as a writer, the, the feeling helpless is the why you become a writer, I think, is so you can control things and control events. Um, and so I wanted to, to do something and I didn't know what to do. So I just wrote a play and I wrote uh, a, a 30 page rant. Somebody told me it was a, a well articulated Facebook rant. The crux of it was basically that final speech that Charlie gives. And that was kind of the whole play. And then we built the play around it. But it was in response to Sandy Hook. The kind of thesis for me is what would it take for somebody to change their mind? And that's why I focused on a Republican senator from North Carolina. Uh, so that was that was the goal, to write a play where you could sympathetically look at somebody who might not be like you. There's three different people in the play, really, who are kind of from various different, I think, sort of philosophies and points of view. And everyone in the audience should be able to kind of identify with one of them and then seeing this one single event and how it changes all of them and in a reasonable way go, yeah, I would I would do what he did, too. Um, so that was the goal. So then how did you strike a balance between a very serious subject, but also it needs to be a play? There needs to be a little bit of humor thrown in. How did you make that balance? I don't, I don't think it was consciously thinking about it. I, when I started writing it, it was a, I guess I wrote that first thing. It was very, very angry. But also the way I start every play is um, it's just two people in a room talking. Um, and then, you know, a third person enters or whatever. But that initial conversation sort of just comes to me almost like I, it has to be the muse. There's no sort of logic to it. It just sort of comes to me kind of all at once, sort of the just the first two pages or whatever. And every conversation in a real life conversation, I hear the humor, I hear the banter, I hear the back and forth, I hear the, if she says this, then he says that, and then she comes back with this. I don't know, I just hear the sort of the sarcasm and the irony and the undercutting. And so every conversation to me, I can always hear the zinger. And so then it almost becomes a matter of like taking them out at some point. But I just feel like for me as an audience member, if I want to see something, I I just I need something to latch on to and I need something fun and engaging, at least at first. And so it was just started with, a you know, a little silly exchange about him not being able to turn on the TV and find ESPN and this sort of banter about iced tea and who wants to drink sweet tea and why does everybody drink sweet tea in this stupid town? And that kind of stuff just gets you into the world in an easier way rather than, you know, curtain up and, oh, my gosh, children were just shot. Like, I just I don't want to see that play. I mean, we went and saw a a play before church and state oh because it was kind of in response to columbine i guess and it was a gun violence play i and it was just awful to sit through it was just people yelling and people being serious and dramatic and it, it, it's it's what pe we like to call a bitter pill theater which some people enjoy 
but we don't. And I, I and I really want to say to about Jason's style. That's his style. You know, if the his writing style is to take a a serious topic and then he peppers it with humor, and laughter opens people's heart, and then it's a a great connector right to their head. You know, and sometimes if you just feed people the negative, the sadness, the tragic, it sort of closes them up. And we want to be able to, through this play, open people up and open them to discussion. And maybe, you know, people from the other side, you know, you don't want to hit them over the head with it either. So if they laugh, there's an opportunity, there's an entrance into their psyche that otherwise wouldn't be there. At what point did you see it and what was your initial impression of it? Well, I see his stuff pretty quickly. Uh, sometimes he will even just say, I have an idea. What do you think? I- I'm in the process from the beginning. Um, he can't help it. <laughs> I'm here and he can't help it. But So the very first one that I showed to anybody, it was you. And then we invited some friends over and they read it, but it was you. Right. It was pretty fast. I saw the first sort of Facebook rant and then I saw the second draft right after that, which was fleshed out a little bit. Uh, with some of the characters, but not fully. And then he also started sending it out to people asking what they thought, some people of the theater, and people would give him advice. And that big speech used to be, you know, much earlier. And someone said, can you take that speech and put it at the end? So there was a lot of sort of, um, like, you do everything. But I saw it the first thing that he wrote down on paper. And that's usually what happens. And did it have uh, an impact on you? Did you see where he was going? Well, first of all, when the tragedy happened at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, I felt like I couldn't breathe for a good month. Like Jason said, because our daughter was that same age, it sort of hit and it hit us so hard that even today, you know, when this latest tragedy happened, we went through grief again. And it's one of those things that it's sort of difficult to explain uh, to someone who who wasn't in that circumstance, but we would go and pick our daughter up from school every day. And every day I had this dread, this feel, this heavy feeling in my chest, like I might show up and she won't be there. Like the feeling of those parents just sort of seeped into my psyche and my soul and my, and my body and my spirit. It was, it was devastating in a way that I can't really explain. It didn't happen to me. Right. And, uh, when I saw Jason's writing, I sort of knew right away, you know, I I had already produced one of his plays, Handle With Care. After that ended, I said, I will never produce again. This was so hard. I'm never doing it again. And then I read Church and State and I was like, oh, my God, I will just have to. I will have to because this is so much bigger than us. We have to put it out there. Well, I think that gets to the point that whether it's Sandy Hook or the Uvalde, the Robb Elementary, these are things that, yes, happen to those communities, but they happen to the country as a whole. I'm not a parent, but I I feel it. It is visceral when a child dies. Absolutely. And hopefully that collective consciousness is what is going to change it for once and for all. Not to compare it all, but as far as tragic events go, what happened to George Floyd changed our country. It changed our collective consciousness because something so devastating happened right in front of our eyes. And this is what has to happen. It has to, for lack of a better word, trigger us all to jump and leap into action and make this stop and make a change. 
So the way that you're doing that, Jason, is through your creativity, your writing, and putting your thoughts down on page through these characters that, that you're creating. And as you started to do readings, as people started to see these characters start to flesh out on stage, was there any pushback? Did people feel uncomfortable? What was the reaction? That It's interesting. There was... There wasn't any pushback, I think, because we tried really hard to balance the characters in the play. I think especially Sarah Whitmore, the wife, who is probably the maybe the most right wing Christian of the trio up there. But she's so likable and lovable and real and honest and smart that nobody had any qualms with it. Um, it the interesting thing about the play is that at first, obviously, you know, we had a reading in DC and then we did it in New York and Rochester and LA. It's, you know, liberal blue bastion heaven. Right. And you feel like, Oh, you're preaching to the choir, but I always knew. And the goal was, look, we'll do it in New York and try and get it published. So it will go out there. More people will see it. And now it's been 65 productions and counting. I think it's going to be more like 70 by the end of this year, red and blue States. I think more red States now than blue States. It, there's been like three in Texas maybe four. And those people especially reach out to me and say, this had a huge impact. There was debate afterward. People were talking, they were enjoying it. And, and uh, the one sort of anecdote that I always tell is um, they did this play in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I happened to be out there for work. And so I kind of got to know the cast. I never saw the play, but I got to know the cast afterwards. And, and the guy who played Tom and Marshall, that role, which you know well, came up to me and he said, hey, I, I just want to tell you, like, I, I really love this play. And my grandfather came, who is a diehard lifelong Republican gun owner. He came to the play and then he came back a second time and then he got rid of all of his guns because he just literally the play changed his mind. He was like, this is stupid. I don't need these. And I thought that was remarkable. And, you know, I only know that story because I got to sort of run into that kid six months after he did the play. And that was always the goal. So no, there was no pushback. If anything, there was a more of an embracing of it. And uh, especially at a time like this, people, when we all feel so helpless, what are we going to do? It's a way to make people have the conversation that doesn't feel so clinical or like a lecture, um, preachy. You, preachy. You can sort of bring people into a room and be like, watch this play. And it's fun and it's entertaining and it's fast and it's over really quick and it's shocking and it's all of these things. And they've gone through all of that, right? After you laugh and cry, like you are open. You are no longer closed off. Their guard has been knocked down. And I also say this too, I, what I love about theater is that you have to shut up and listen for an hour and a half. <laughs> you can't sort of jump in and talk over the other person. So they have to like listen to your whole argument from beginning to end, and then they can have a say. And And people for the most part have been positive about the play and that it is balanced. We had a talk back and I was, if I had my way, we would have had talkbacks every day, but my smart GM said, maybe not. So we did them once a week, but I remember one where there was a question on stage. I think we asked that question. If we've offended anyone who was on the other side of the aisle, any Republicans, any gun owners. And I remember this woman who, who stood up in the audience and she said, I love this play. I love everything it's saying. I'm a Republican, I'm a gun owner, and none of this offended me, which I found to be huge for us. You know, like Jason said, we don't know how many people have been affected to change their lives because of this play. The hope is many. And you've gotten to direct some of these regional productions outside of New York. 
How have you found the reaction of working with the actors and the production teams? Uh, it is absolutely incredible. It's so moving because unlike, I, I, I hate to say regular play, but plays that are not mission plays, you know, everybody comes with such a sense of purpose. The Berkshires so far was my favorite. And what happened there was incredible because they did talkbacks after every show after every show. And they had a woman assigned to find people to be on the panel. Sometimes it was just me and Jason. Sometimes it was people who represented politicians or local officials or mental health organizations. It was like... There was a girl from Parkland, right? Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. She was there. And she's a gun owner. And that was a very interesting debate. Talk back with the audience. One woman stood up and she said, why, why, why do you need a gun? It was a very heated but educational and open discussion. You know, people always say, how are we going to have conversation with people on the across the aisle? You know, this screaming in our in our own little vacuum is doesn't do anything. There was a production in Alaska. They did one in Sitka and then one in Anchorage, I believe. Uh, at the one in Sitka, which is a little more rural. Anchorage is, you know, the big city. It's very blue. In Sitka, they had a guy there who used to be huge up in the NRA. And he's, you know, he's no longer. And they did a talk back. And there was an actual fight, from what I hear. Somebody like yelled and stormed out and yelled at him. And there was a big fight. And that was an interesting sort of uh, <laughs> anecdote from a, yeah. not, he wasn't a politician per se, but he was, you know, kind of from this governmental political world. Well, this idea of political theater is certainly something that's not new to you, Jason. You did the whole shebang, which is about climate change, Division Street, which goes after racism. So theater as activism, so to speak, is certainly something that you have done in the past. Did you see church and state as a continuation of that, or did it just feel much more visceral without that intention? I, You know, I don't think about it when I start as like, I'm going to write a play about climate change or I'm going to write a play about gun violence. It was this thing happened, Sandy Hook. And I just went, I'm angry. How do I do something with this? And I sort of had in my head already before any of those events happened, uh, an idea about a play with three people who's going to have sort of a crisis of faith about God. So that was already sort of kicking in my head. And then I just kind of added this to it because that was already in my brain. Um, when it came to the climate change thing, I had just seen an article in the New York Times about a girl who uh, stopped going to her science class because the teacher was saying that, you know, climate change was man-made. And she was like, I don't believe you. I don't think I should have to listen to this. I don't think I should have to go to this class anymore. And she was like a straight A student from Ohio. And I thought, well, that's interesting. How do I, how do I tell her story, her side of the story? Um, and then the play that I just wrote that we did in Florida, American One Room, was about an event that I had read about, which sounded really interesting, which was about literally doing this, bringing people from all over the country, from every single uh, state, every single district. Uh, they had 500 and something people um, to represent, you know, the 500 and whatever it is, um, members of Congress that we have. And they put them in a room and made them talk to each other for, you know, 12 hours at a time for three days. And, um, it was illuminating the, everything I read about that. And then the, the play explored that too. So I, I don't know that I'm trying to be a political theater writer. It's just those are the things that are 
making me excited right now. You got to want to sit down and write every day and like the thing that you're writing. There's plenty of things that I've tried to write that you abandon because you're like, this is dumb. Who cares? But when it's like something that's just so it makes you angry or excited or sad or happy, that's the thing that's going to, I think, excite an audience. And so that's what I tend to write about. The other play that I just wrote is about art and why do we make art and do we need it? That was because what I was thinking about during the pandemic when it all seemed so hopeless and why does anybody need a play or art or a movie? Like how dumb is art when we're all about to die? And so I wrote a play that was like, no, we need art. So you're just writing about what is firing you up every day. Do you see art as a responsibility to address these? Is it mostly to entertain? Should we always be trying to strike the balance between where do you see that going? I think it's both. I always say first entertain. That's the rule. I mean, my style is it has to combine both comedy and drama because I, I, I'm i not a fan of anything that's just a straight comedy or a straight drama. I've always liked, you know, um, Neil Simon kind of mode of story where it's got a lot of heart and a lot of humor and maybe a little bit of a lesson, but you just love these characters. It's really character driven. That's where I start from. So I think art has to entertain first. And then I think what it does ideally is maybe you're not spoon feeding them a message, but you're just going like, here, here are some people. And it's just about making people more empathetic. And if you, the more you can just see the world a little bit from somebody else's point of view, it can't help but make the world a better place. But first you have to entertain people because otherwise no one's going to look at it. But I think the best plays are the ones that do both. And there's a way to do both. It's just really hard. That's all. (laughs) Not everybody does it because it's really hard. Well, and I think that that's what's so important about what you're doing, Jason. As, as you say, it can't just be straight drama. It can't just be straight dogma, like hit, hit, hit. Let, you know, let me just pound this message over anyone's head. But the fact that you make both sides arguments for them so that they're both presented, because I think just as much as plays can maybe change a mind, see something from a different perspective, you know, walk a mile in the other person's shoe, I think it's also important that someone who may feel attacked feels heard, feels like, oh my gosh, I think that, or I've done that. And once you feel heard, then you feel like, oh, well, if they get me, maybe they get the other side too. And I think that in of itself can also open dialogue. That's the comment that we got more than any other. You know, they came and they said after the show, uh, when we were producing it here in New York, they they would come up to me and say, I really appreciate that you have a representation of Christianity, of people who are gun owners. Again, it's about it's about representation on stage for, for what it's worth for everyone on every side of this issue. And you can't just present it from one side. Uh, that doesn't get you where you want to go. Uh, and I think Jason did a beautiful job with that. Uh, any play that I write, I'm trying to work something out in my head. Like you start writing the play, not because you have the answer, but because you have a question. And so the reason all of those people hopefully eventually get really fleshed out is because I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand them. What is making that person tick? Why is she doing that? Why is he doing that? And as you sort of get deeper and dig deeper and explain it for yourself, the writer, the audience then sees that too. And it, you know, makes the people more three-dimensional. So most of it is, you know, me trying to answer a question about who these people are, why they might do what they do, all of the characters and everything. Um, and that's why you say like, you present both sides of the argument because I'm having the argument in my head. I'm going like, well, if I said this, you could also sort of counter with this. And so then, then that person would come back with this. And that's basically what 
a play is. It's just a bunch of, you know, conversations in your head. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. In light of the recent shootings and a reminder that these senseless deaths continue in Buffalo and Uvalde, Jason and Charlotte are presenting a reading of Church and State at the Stephen Wise Free Synagogue here in New York City, June 7th at 8 p.m. It's a free event and you can find a link to this reading in the show notes. Rob Nagel has agreed to come back and play the part of the senator and of course Charlotte will be moderating a talkback following the performance. For me, it was about come, heal, grieve together, heal together, and then move to action together. So those are the things I'm focusing on. Even though we are now making it, you know, if people want to donate to these three organizations, it's Sandy Hook Promise and Safer Country and the Brady Campaign. So if people want to donate, they can donate to those three. But that's not really the full focus for me is about actionable items. So the audience will actually get from this panel real things that they can do now. Because, you know, everybody, you know, every talk back we had, people were like, well, what can we do? What can we do? Go vote. Okay, I'm going to go vote. And what else can I do? I find that people want to get really tactile and, and nitty gritty with it. And that's what I want. And this team of like 10 people are helping me put this up all volunteer, people donating already, really just ready for this to happen in a way that I haven't seen before. Our synagogue is donating their space that can fill 900 people. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. And then to be like, when do you want it? And then we settled on Tuesday, June 7th at 8 p.m. And I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. And then now I'm putting the pieces together. Uh, All of a sudden, when I was thinking about this issue the other day, I realized that we need people who have a lot of power and a lot of sway to speak up. And we need to culturally change this fascination America has with guns, right? It's sexy, it's powerful, it's this and that. So how do we do that? And then I saw these athletes starting to speak out against guns. And I thought, well, that's interesting because they have a lot of sway. I mean, in a heartfelt, passionate way, the Yankees, their whole Twitter feed was about gun violence the other day. All day long, they just tweeted about that. 
And I said, well, that's where we start, right? We all culturally changed our minds about cigarettes. Cigarettes used to be super cool and sexy and in every film. And look what happened. And it was a cultural uh, shift. It's, it wasn't just legislative mm -hmm. and let's put a warning thing on the cigarette packets. It was more than that. It was all of us going, you know what? This is kind of a nasty habit and you smell disgusting when you smoke, you know? So it just signifies that this this community our community our world our country is ready it's re we're ready for a change so as this moves forward jason it doesn't happen very often in the theater but do you see some sort of sequel do you see a follow-up or has church and state said what it needs to say and you as a playwright will go on to other subjects well, you know, I thought I thought that. So we we did church and state, and it, it's true. Like you get it out of your system, and you feel good for a while. And and there were a lot of productions happening very quickly around the country, and it was great. Uh, and I sort of felt like, well, this is I'm done. And I had moved on. I'd written several plays since then. Um, but when something like this happens, it makes you go back and go, well, maybe I'm not done with this. We are still thinking about a way to make it as a movie. We are still perhaps thinking about if there's a way to bring it to Broadway. It's not something that's at the front of our plate right now because it takes a lot of other people and a lot of moving parts. But church and state will not go away, unfortunately. I mean, I said something in the notes when I first wrote it in 2016, which was everybody wants their plays to live on forever. I would love for this play to become obsolete. I would love for this play to become just like a footnote that would be amazing, uh, but that's not the reality yet. And so I will keep hammering this as much as I can. I think what Charlotte's talking about with high schools and colleges is another great place because kids are just more passionate than adults. You know, we have mortgages and jobs and all these other things that we think about and kids can get focused on an issue and, and make change. The kids from Parkland are a huge shining example. I don't think this is the end of the road for this play. I think there's another life, whether it's on Broadway or as a movie or a, an Apple TV Plus version of it. I don't know. Um, we want Tony Kushner, who's an avid listener of your podcast, to adapt this into a movie. That's what we want. <laughs> who knows? With more artists getting together, sharing our voices and our creativity, maybe there can be some out-of-the-box way of, of getting stuff like this uh, handled and taken care of and dealt with. I mean, I think like what Charlotte said, it's about the cultural shift. And Congress is like six months behind the people. You know, gay marriage was a, a, a great example. They were so far behind and then the tidal wave just like happened. And then they're like, oh, I guess we should do something. And they had no choice. So we have to make them have no choice um, because the way it is now, we get angry, we, we get you know upset, and then we all disappear and go back to our lives. But if there's a cultural shift, like you said, with athletes, with something like that, where they actually stop games, what if people said, I'm not going to school anymore because it's unsafe and we just public education just came to a standstill. It has to be something really radical and really huge. And it will make these guys do something. Otherwise, they are very content to just ride out our anger, knowing that we will all get complacent in a month. So art can help people see things differently. And, and like you said, change the culture. And it's a small part, right? But it's a bunch of pebbles. And then eventually those pebbles will become a wave. That's the idea. Thank you so much for joining me, Jason, and Charlotte today. These are difficult times without easy answers. But plays like Church and State and artists like Jason writing and grappling with these issues hopefully give us and other audiences perspective on how we can best go forward and hopefully 
have these deadly shootings stop, especially to our most vulnerable children. In the show notes, you'll find a way to attend that church and state reading if you can, as well as ways to donate to the three organizations that Charlotte mentioned. I'm Patrick Oliver Jones, in charge of editing, writing, and producing this podcast, and I ask you please to join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.